We return to our pre-recorded interview with Bruce Franklin discussing the disenfranchisement in Florida of the African-American vote. You are listening to Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis with your host, Pedro Gatos, and our guest, esteemed author Bruce Franklin. And then when almost three-quarters of the people of Florida voted to get rid of the felony disenfranchisement, the, the Republican legislature, this is a party issue, too. The Republican legislature put in effect a new poll tax saying, well, anyone who wants the right to vote, like ex-felon, has to pay off fines, has to pay back to the state what it cost to incarcerate. I've, I've cited several books, two, two books, me, that show that without felony disenfranchisement, the Democrats would consistently control the U.S. Senate. Felony disenfranchisement gives the Republican Party control of the Senate. Yeah, and so I guess just so people get better acquainted, so what you're saying is that you have the 15th Amendment. It supposedly it, 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 it reinforces and declares the right of all citizens of the United States the right to vote. Yet, apparently, through the Supreme Court decision, other laws that subsequently came, if I'm understanding this correctly, you already had a poll tax, and so maybe you can tell us how much that was and how that basically eliminated a number of people from voting, but also the literacy requirement, which, of course, again, I mean, there's nothing that indicates. I mean, I know people from the teaching that I've done over the years that have, you know, they cannot read and write, but, man, they can... You know, they can uh, fix an engine blindfolded. I mean, they've got intelligent, they're, they're very intelligent people, but just for whatever reasons are not literate. But my, the point I'm just trying to get to is, can you explain the impact of the Supreme Court law decisions that upheld the allowance of these exclusions and how it impacted what percentage or what numbers of folks? And then, and then like you say, it, 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 it later evolved, or we were talking about earlier, now you have to pay all your fines up front after a felony conviction and discharge from prison and parole or whatever to be eligible to vote. So what would you say the, the impact? I mean, you mentioned the Florida election, of course, but the overall numbers, is there, is there any approximation as to what percentage of, of African-Americans have been disenfranchised? Uh, approximately uh, 2 million. Mm -hmm. That's conservative, mm -hmm. 2 million. Mm -hmm. That's very conservative. So, because we're not just talking about African Americans, we're also talking um, a, a lot of Latino Americans, poor whites, also. It's a way of disenfranchising poor according to the whims of the people in power. You know, mm -hmm. they to preserve their power. That's what it's all about. So, I think the key thing here to understand is the power of the Supreme Court, because all our laws are. What are they made of? Their words on on paper. So the Supreme Court is the ultimate arbiter of what these words mean. So they can construe them to mean anything. So they can. The Supreme Court has reversed itself a number of times on many issues, depending on who's there. There's no way to overrule the Supreme Court. Yeah. They are supreme. So they say what the laws mean. So they can say. That the they can say in effect that the 13th Amendment wasn't really about abolishing slavery. It was really about make sure we have slavery. We pick out certain words and, and emphasize those. 
which is why we're at such a crucial moment now, because two of the Supreme Court justices are going to be replaced very soon, Ginsburg and, 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 and Breyer. Um, and they are, you know, liberal. They consistently vote on the right side of things, forces of light, and they're, go- they're going to be replaced by, the, by whoever is in the White House in the coming months, especially after January. If they're replaced by two more Kavanaugh's or worse, that means, and Trump wins, that means that whatever he wants to do will be deemed legal and constitutional by his Supreme Court, and we will have no power to overturn that decision. Right. You know, the analogy, uh, and let's stay on this topic a little bit, because it's interesting what you're saying, that the interpretation of words is based on the intellect of those that are interpreting it. So, for instance, that was the issue with with torture. You know, you could find attorneys like Gonzalez and whatever to, yeah, yeah, to, you know, to say, well, it's really not torture. It's uh uh, it's, you know, for this reason and that reason, or the end serves the means or whatever, you know, whatever the argument was. And you're saying, well, with the Supreme Court, that's the final arbitration. There's no place to appeal it from the Supreme Court and such. And so when you talk about or when people talk about how important the presidency is, I guess what you are arguing, and I think reading your article, it makes a lot of sense to me, is the importance of this Supreme Court and the fact that we have two of the Supreme Court members that will likely not not last the next four years on the bench due to their advancing age. Can you elaborate a little bit more on the importance of the Supreme Court other than what you've already kind of commented on? When we go back and we look at, the, you know, obviously the decision to make corporations people, so to speak. The Supreme Court Citizens United decision. Uh, that sticks out in my mind, but the ramifications from that alone seems to have created the conditions to stunt the democratic potential of our country when you allow money such great power in the electoral process. Yeah, well, that's one of the main functions that the Supreme Court has had to legitimize the buying of elections by the wealthy classes and corporations. And they also, of course, now have withdrawn their what should be their constitutional duty to enforce the 15th Amendment, the result being that whenever the Republicans get control of a state legislature, they can disenfranchise people, they can gerrymander the state in such ways that they nullify the vote of the black people or poor people um, in a state. It's up to them to decide how many voting machines are going to be in an urban area, how many are going to be in rural areas. So, again, I think if, if Trump wins this election, that is the end of democracy as we know it. And democracy as we know it is not complete democracy. Uh, it's suffered many losses. But we still have elections, as imperfect as they are with the Electoral College and decisions by the Supreme Court. But if Trump wins a re-election, we're not going to have a democracy. We're going to have a fascist state. And he's made, he made that clear. He's not hiding it. What's scary to me, and I, you know, I'm, I'm terrified, is that 
something like 42, 43, 44, 47, something like that percent of the American people want that. Mm -hmm. Something like 40-some-odd percent want what Trump is saying he's going to create. There's, there's no secret anymore about it. You know, I, I mean, I'm scared, but I'm full of hope by the, this wonderful movement that we have going on, you know, led by Black Lives Matter. You know, I've been an activist for peace and justice for well over six decades. I've never seen a movement this broad and this deep. Mm -hmm. and, and all these young people out there, you know, it's very inspiring. So there's hope. If we lose this election, that hope will exist because that movement will be crushed and there's nothing that you will be able to do about it. If you think that you can mount a resistance against a fascist regime that has modern surveillance powers, which has all the guns, you're kidding yourselves. Trump has actually studied the speeches of Hitler way back in 1990. We know this. We know where he's going. And I see us today exactly in an American parallel to Germany in 1933. Mm -hmm. and, and Jane and I have wanted for 64 years of marriage. How did it happen that Germany was a very advanced country, maybe the most advanced in the world? How did it happen? Now we see it happening right now. And the second question is, what would we have done if we had been good German in 33? That's the question of the day. But once Hitler consolidated his power, there was nothing that could be done in Germany to overthrow that power. It took the combined might of the Soviet Union and the United States to overthrow that power. If Trump institutes fascism in America, what's going to save us? Canada? I mean, there's nothing out there, and we will not be able to change it because they will have all the levers of power in their hands. Yeah, I think what the only thing with that analysis that we're leaving out is the culpability of the Democratic leadership as well to have set the stage for a president like Trump to emerge by being so negligent during the Obama administration. We had the greatest wealth transfer in the history of, the, of our country during his period of time, and people increasingly were either un unemployed or employed with you know the 10 or 12 million jobs that he created, which we've documented on other shows. Out of the 14, some 10 or, 10 or 11 million of them were part-time, non-benefited jobs and people scraping to make ends. And there's, you know, the Federal Reserve study uh, had indicated that 40% of Americans would struggle to raise $400 in the event of an emergency. Huge amounts of Americans were hurting during the Obama years and before the COVID onset. And the fear and the, uh, and the instability of quality of life for so many people. We have more people that are living with their parents now than uh, since, the, since the 1800s under the Obama. Now, the wealth transfer has continued and actually accelerated under Trump, so I'm not saying he's any better. And so, But I did want to mention, when it comes to these foreign policy issues, of how we conduct ourselves in the rest of the world with our military uh, interventions and influences and sanctions under both Democratic and Republican administrations. There seems to be little or no difference. 
but reading your article is... Let me just stop there. What's okay. that? Okay, because you, don't, you know, <laughs> Pedro, do you have to convince me of that? No, no, I, 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 because, I know that. Because, because I, I, I know that, but just to finish well, my... Well, just to say that mm. my books and my... You know, I, I've, I've, I've paid a price for my opposition to American imperialism and, and militarism, as you, as you know. You, you've okay. been an outspoken... Okay, okay. and I see, no, I see no difference between the foreign policy and the wars raised by yeah. Democrat and Republican presidents. There's no difference there. I, yeah, the, I, I, the I, I know you don't. The president is yeah. going to be the president of, the, of an imperialist um, an empire. I, 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 I know that. So, so, I, I know that that's, I mean, not, that's not the issue. Right, but... Because but to, we, we, we have, you know, the British Empire was also an empire. But there's a difference between being an empire and a, a power that makes wars all over the world and, and cripples democracy all over the world. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between that, that still preserves a lot of democracy internally, and a fascist state. Right, and right, that's, right. That, that, that's No, I, that's where I was going to go. Before you interjected, that's the second half of the point I'm trying to make. I'm sorry. Is that, is that your article is very, very convincing that just based on the Supreme Court, you know, as one example, that the domestic types of uh, policies and issues is very, very different, whether it's climate change, whether it's these other deals, the potential to uh, make progress in those areas. There's a significant difference between, you know, Democratic leadership and Republican leadership on these some of these domestic issues. And you even mentioned that one of your main, and I'd like you to elaborate on this, is that under a Biden administration, although you're very critical and fearful of his foreign policy, whatever it might be, there is room for protests to greater evolve and for uh, these contradictions to be looked at more closely and in more depth than, than under a second Trump deal. And when, you, and when you see these kind of, what do they call them, these like jump out vehicles that are unmarked federal cars, yeah. people getting pulled in, thrown in those cars, that's what you're suggesting is reminiscent of a move towards fascist tendencies or, or one of the things. But yeah, if you would speak to that, speak to those differences and similarities in the upcoming election, if you would. Yeah, well, what you just mentioned is very important, that because right now Trump has what, what Hitler had in a form of stormtroopers, which he unleashed to get the fascist dictatorship. So Trump has right now two forms of that. One, he's got the armed militia, militias rather. He has also stormtroopers in the Department of Homeland Security. Those are the forces that he deployed in Portland. Whether he has the military is some people would debate that, but we we got a little taste of it when he had a perfectly peaceful legal demonstration outside the White House and had the military clear out those people so they can have his photo op with, with a Bible. So we, we see how the guns in the hands of the other side can just squelch and demolish any kind of resistance. And if people think you can organize underground against this, you know, I myself have had experience in underground organizing, <laughs> um, but not under this surveillance. Yeah, yeah. 
And let, let me just, you know, indicate, and I, I don't think I properly introduced the different dimensions of not just you, but your, your wife, Jane Franklin. And the act, when you talk about 60 years of activism, it is a remarkable history that you all have been engaged in. And a lot of it is detailed in your most recent book, Crash Course. And, you know, I just want to pay, pay you just great, great tribute. The personal sacrifices that both of you have made and people like you, it's not well known nor appreciated. So I, I certainly didn't mean to minimize that at all. I just think we've failed to really kind of present that. I think what you argue in your, in your article, which side are you on, I'm just not as optimistic that under a Biden presidency, under a Democratic presidency, the problems that need to be fixed are going to be fixed in any substantial way. I do see the risk benefit, that the risk goes down for the more atrocious possibilities that can occur. But when you just look at the incredible and terrible injury that we inflict on, on third nations through sanctions and meddling in, in, in the affairs of other countries and, you know, that we've been doing both under Republican and Democratic parties, that's what really concerns me, as I know, as I know it does you. Yeah, well, the thing is, under, under yeah, what will we get with Biden? We're going to get Obama light, right? <laughs> as much as we can for courage, except for the fact we have more progressive people in the House of Representatives. I mean, AOC and those people are doing a great job. Bernie has done a great job in changing conversation. And so we, we have the ability to develop a, a movement to bring about a much better future. Mm-hmm. Well, to bring about a future where the, where the air is uh, suitable for human beings to live in, not to mention all the other species that we're, we're killing off. So, I mean, I mean, nothing is guaranteed, but we, we have the freedom to act if we choose to act. And that's, you know, there's some big ifs there. As far as foreign policy, no. I mean, I, it's going to be the same thing. But even Obama light, you know, is b- b- bad in many ways. You know, drone war, war for you, we can go on. But if, but the policy toward Cuba was certainly better. The policy toward Iran was better. The policy, the Paris Accords was <laughs> not so great. Yeah, it but was at least pretty it was, disappointing. At least it was in spirit on the right side. Whereas the forces we're in charge of our government now (laughs) are on the opposite side. They're not on the side of of having a a decent environment to live in. They're on the side of the very corporations and other forces that are profiting from destroying our environment. There it's it's night and day. We We can criticize the Democratic Party for not doing more. And not just criticize them, but developing movements that force them to be, to do more. Mm-hmm. We have an opportunity to, to act. Yeah, and I guess that's for me one of the big problems that I have is just the, you know, when when is progress lack of progress? So you can have it under one side of the coin here, and in many ways, and but you know, I mean, the point is taken. I mean, you want to eliminate the most atrocious edges. Of possibilities that's can be seen as a positive thing but but we need just so much more and and I'm just thinking of particularly also those people 
in these countries that we're talking about that we are involved with, be Yemen, whether it be Libya, Ukraine, and Honduras in 2009, and on and on and on. It's, you know, when you mentioned that some 40 plus percent support some of the most outrageous tendencies that are leading us in, in a more fascist kind of potential direction, that is the issue, is that we are indoctrinated in such a way that people make these free choices in ways that are really against their own self-interest. And so uh, your your writings and, and your work is really, really important to kind of step outside of that bubble, so to speak, a little bit. We're running out of time, so I did want to, first of all, ask if people are interested in accessing some of the other books and articles that you've written. What, can you share your website information with us, please? It's just my name. It's H. Bruce Franklin. No punctuation. Uh-huh. com. That's it. And so, so I have a lot of my writings are there and access to other writings. You, you get through that. So it's hbrucefranklin.com. Also, I would like to give a shout out to your wife, Jane Franklin, who has put together a long history, several books. One of them is A Chronological History of Cuba and U.S. Relations, which is kind of like a reference book of chronological events and and, uh, over all of the different subtopics of... Well, the most recent version of that is... Let me get the title absolutely right here. Yeah, you better. (laughs) You might not make 65 years of marriage if you don't. Anyhow, the book is a renowned classic. Uh, I've been to Cuba many times, and people down there are very fond of it. But I it's Cuba and the U.S. Empire. That's that's the name. This Jane Franklin, and she has a website also. If you do Jane Franklin and Cuba, you'll get there. And um, her book has been required reading for um, mm-hmm. every member of the Cuban Foreign Ministry for many years has been required to know that book. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to share with our audience because it's a, it's a chronology. So you can go from year to year and then all of the themes, whether it's a, you know, it has anything to do with the embargo or if it has to do with any of the terrorist activities that occurred from the United States and the different terrorist groups and, and uh, all the diplomatic relations that Cuba started creating between countries. And you just go back to the index and look up these different little subtopics and it takes you to all the different pages of the evolution of those subtopics deals in a very straightforward objective manner i've been through it many times it's 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 a it's a very powerful book so look we are out of time again bruce one more time your your website is hbrucefranklin.com right and the article that i've been referencing today if people are interested in accessing that can be got there but also through Counterpunch, uh, August 21st, 2020. Which side are you on? Thank you so much for your reflections today. We'll look forward to following your work. It's been a real pleasure getting educated. Thank you so much, Pedro, and and thank you so much for all you are doing. All right, my friend. Give my best to to your wife, too, and stay COVID-free, friend. You, too. Stay safe. Hey, I think it's fascinating. You know, I lost my dad uh, and my mom in the last couple of years, actually. And one of the things that was really amazing was they were also married for a period of time that would have made their marriage eligible for Social Security. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, a, uh, that's a beautiful thing. So congratulations yeah. to you and Jane for every day. And we'll talk to you later. Okay. Stay in there. Okay. Keep up the fight. Thanks, ma'am.
Please stay tuned for our overnight broadcasting, which comes up next. You'll have to switch on over to our internet at koop.org. So join Tim for nobody's happy hour. We take you out as we do every night with Land of Naivety. Hello.